0: This is a presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu. Welcome to the Center for Sports Studies podcast. My name is Brandon Podgorski, professor of sport management at Trine University, and I want to welcome you to this week's podcast. On today's podcast, I am joined by Mike Medici, a nine-year scout for the Texas Rangers. Mike has worked as a Major League Baseball scout for the past 14 years, getting his start with the Toronto Blue Jays before working with the Rangers. In this episode, Mike explains the difference between pro scouting and amateur scouting in baseball, his schedule and responsibilities as a scout, the qualities of a good scout, and how to break into scouting even if you were not a former player. Mike is also the owner of Scout School, an online resource for people who want to learn how to scout in baseball. You can find more information at www.mikemedicibaseball.com. I hope you enjoy the show. All right, joining us today is Major League Baseball scout Mike Medici. Mike, thank you so much for joining the show.
1: Absolutely. Happy to be here to talk a little baseball.
0: Well, I, I'm biased because it's my favorite sport, so I, I was really excited to talk with you today and, and talk some baseball, especially you know at, at a high level where you're at. I'm working with MLB, working in the MLB, and I know you've been there for quite a while. Um, But before we kind of get into that, tell us a little bit about your background and and how you worked your way up to become a scout in the major leagues. Yeah, so
1: this actually wasn't the plan. The plan was never to be an MLB scout. When I left playing, when I graduated, obviously everybody's hope and intention is to get an opportunity to play pro ball. That did not come calling uh, either. So kind of tried my hand at the real world. Uh, That lasted about three months. And then I got a phone call from a previous coach. Um, when I, I played at Niagara University in Western New York. And I played for Mike McRae for two years. And then he went over to Canisius in Buffalo. And he had called me and said, hey, we, we've got an opening. It's an opportunity for you to come back to baseball, come coach. If you work in athletics, I think most realize there's not a whole lot of money in it. I'll never forget the, the text he sent me. It was a grad school $5,000 stipend and a fulfilling career is literally what he said. And I texted them back and said, "I'm in." So, I packed my stuff, uh, moved back to Buffalo. I, I coached there for two years, and honestly, that was always that was the plan. It was going to be just be a collegiate coach. That's what I wanted to do. Um, but, like I said, if you are in athletics, one thing I learned while I was at Canisius was, and, and this may have changed since then. Obviously, that was back in 2008 when I got there. You know, it's going to take you about five years of working in athletics to probably get to the point where you want to be, where you're making enough money to sustain yourself. And, you know, I was there for two and a half years and I got the opportunity from the Toronto blue Jays to go and work for them. It was a full-time opportunity. So after making next to no money, working three jobs, just to kind of itch by I couldn't pass. Um, And and that that was a chain of events. I was not looking for that. Um, The world baseball classic was held in Toronto that year. So I had asked if we could go up. It was before our season um, just to watch. Uh, And Coach introduced me to somebody he knew with the Jays that was working the game. He was working the uh, the radar, the radar gun for the game. And we just sat and talked for a while. And then I went back up about six months later to catch a game with my roommate. And I saw, his name's Andrew Tinnish. He's now their international director, assistant GM. And saw him in the the stadium. And I just, I kind of cornered him and asked him all sorts of questions. Fast forward that fall, J.P. Ricciardi was let go. Alex Anthopoulos was hired and Andrew was promoted to uh, scouting director. Then when Alex, Alex, he's a big believer in scouts, they added 11 new positions. So by doing that, they needed a lot of people, you know, to come in and fulfill those spots. And he just called me out of the blue, said, would you have interest in interviewing? And how could I pass that up? So that's, that's actually how I got in. So I always say it's a little bit of luck. There's some timing, you know, and looking back now, I've been in it for going on almost 14 years.
0: Ma, and that's a great story. And I'm glad you talked about, especially at first, you know, the money's not great and it is a grind. And, you know, you said you work three jobs while you're trying to pursue this dream. And, and you're right. Unfortunately, working in, in athletics and in, in college athletics, especially coaching, it, it's tough starting out. And that's a good that's a good lesson for students to learn um, who want to break into that field. Um, but you talked about, you know, scouting maybe not, wasn't necessarily what it was that you wanted to do. So what's that difference there between, you know, your everyday responsibilities as a coach. And then now as a, as a scout, one of the reasons I,
1: I was hesitant about scouting was I love the, the personal connection with the players okay. So Okay. on the scouting side. There's actually, there's two sides. You have your pro side, you have your amateur. I work on the amateur side on the pro side. Indianapolis Indians, for example, you're going to go to the park. You're going to watch six games. You're going to report on the 25, 26 man roster. You're going to write up everybody. On the amateur side, you're covering high school, college. You'll have a territory area, and you're going around and you're looking for people that we want to acquire through the draft. You know, so it's kind of it's two different things. Um, But the one thing the amateur allowed me to do was you still have that personal connection. Like there's doing this so long. There's it's a long list now because I've been doing it for a while of guys that I scouted as amateurs, high school kids that you're now, you know, we're turning up in the big leagues, you know, responsibility wise, it, it changes every single day. Yeah. No, no. Day, and I think that's, that's pretty similar probably for all of athletics. You know, no, no day is like the next it's a constantly changing, evolving, adjusting. Um, especially as we're working up here in the, in the Northern area, you're dealing with weather and, and cancellations and all sorts of stuff. Um, The calendar is pretty cyclical. You know, right now we're we're kind of prepping for the season. The season starts at about three or four weeks. So we're just going around watching uh, practices as they get going. Then we get out, start scouting the season, and we're building up until the draft, which is in July. And then as soon as the draft's over, we literally flip the calendar. We'll start looking at 2024 class. A lot of high school kids throughout the summer. And then that goes into the fall where we start looking at the colleges again through scout days and fall practices, and then in the off season, we're back doing player interviews, meeting with players for that upcoming draft for the following year.
0: So I think that was interesting. That if people don't know that about baseball, kind of the the two different buckets of, of scouts, the one being like on the pro side and the amateur side. Um, did you get an opportunity of of which one you wanted to pick? Were you kind of just assigned like, hey, we need you to do this, or you know, are, are there benefits and, and cons to one to the other? In, in as far as is what you think.
1: Yeah. So I didn't have an option. They just said, Hey, we got op- opportunity on the amateur side. So uh, I walked into this one. Um, they're definitely different. Yeah, I think if you talk to a lot of um, scouts that have been around, you know, the pro side, it's, it's usually uh, an older group. And I, and I say that because they want structure. Okay. You know, you go, so you go watch the Indians. You're going to watch them for six days, you know, Mondays an off day, you're going to travel, you know, and you you could end up going to Dayton. You're going to sit there for six days, Mondays the travel day, and then you can move on, you know, to Fort Wayne. Um, so it's a much more structured schedule up until the trade deadline. And then it changes drastically because now you're going to look at targets where the amateur side, I got a lot more flexibility. You know, if I want to go, um, if I want to go see Ball State this weekend, oh, you know, weather's not great. I'll let Jeff, I'll go see Louisville because it's a little bit south. Maybe it's a little better or rotation lined up better for me. Um, you know, like I said, th- on this side, there's definitely no day like the next.
0: So how does that work then on on that amateur side? I know you said you've got a region that you're responsible for, but um, you know you're with the Texas Rangers right now, right? Okay. So mm-hmm. with that, are they assigning you games to go see, or are you just do you have a list of players that eventually you're just trying to get to at, at some point within a certain amount of time?
1: Yeah. So every organization does it differently. Some um, they assign their guys for the first month because they're going to try to hit you can try try to take the the quantity there's a lot of tournaments especially at the collegiate level mm-hmm. uh, everybody's kind of going south to these destinations with multiple fields or there's tournaments some of them use the big league parks and then you, you kind of bombard that so you can try to knock out a lot of reports see a lot of players all in one spot the way we do it is this it's the area is mine you know i go minnesota to kentucky And I'm responsible for it is so anything and everything that goes on that area, I need to be on top of report on. Um, And the way we work is, you know, it's top down. So when I, when I was saying before we have this, the summer is when we start building our list for the following for the next year. So say this is today was July. Whenever the draft is the draft would end and I would start preparing for the 2024 draft. So I'll look at all the high school kids that are in that crop and then in the fall, when the colleges get back to campus, we'll start looking at um, players through scout days now that they're allowed fall scrimmages, seeing some games. And then you build this list. In this list, we call it a pref list, preference list, and you rank them. And so, you know, like if you were to ask me, but we want to we want to go from the top and work down. So you take the highest priority. Whoever's okay. number one on your list, that's your target for the next year. You know, and then, but then sometimes, you know, when you go out – especially early, you do, you might want to take, well, I got four clubs in Nashville is a great example because you get all those colleges right there. So if a lot of my teams are in Nashville, I'll take, you know, the quantity, I'll be able to go see four clubs between Lipscomb, Belmont, Vanderbilt, um, you know, before maybe adjusting and going to see one of my top premium guys.
0: Okay. Very interesting. And so are you, are you considered an employee of the team or are you a contractor and and i'm also interested how how much are you traveling and and what are the expectations
1: yeah so that that's actually a really popular question we always get asked like is it based on who you you know who you sign Mm -hmm. um and honestly it's really hard it it would be really hard if that was the case if we got kind of compensated based off of who we sign only because sometimes it's luck of the draw you know i've had plenty of guys that were in play in the first round but so many different things got to line up you know, it's just it's luck of the draw that somebody just lands in, you know, is available when you pick and your club ends up picking them. Um, there's been plenty of times where I've had guys were, we're like, hey, we're taking so-and-so in two and picks before somebody else takes them.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: you know, so we are we are employees. And the way I look at it is on the amateur level, we're you're reporting on that entire area um, for that draft and in hopes to get players in our system. But I can't tell you how many times I've gotten calls one, two, three years later from a draft from the pro department. Hey, we're, we're talking to this club. We're talking about this player. Can you tell us what you had on him as an amateur? You know, so I think it's really important to do your due diligence, even on, I know, for last year, for example, we didn't pick in the third and fourth round. You know, so there was there was a huge crop of guys that we knew from my area that were going to go in between those picks mm-hmm. that we had no chance at them. But you still do your due diligence and do all the and get all the information because there is a strong possibility that we could trade for one of those guys in a couple of years. and it's important to have that information because now you're telling you're not telling the story from a ball on. you're telling the story as an amateur all the way because you know, once they're in a system it's very difficult to get information
0: so i i would imagine and maybe and correct me if i'm wrong but you know kind of what you're evaluated on i mean you can't necessarily you know with your magic ball say hey this guy's going to go in this round with this pick but when your bosses come to you you need to at least have the information on all those guys and that's probably what i would imagine is most valuable to the organization
1: yeah you want to have enough information for them to make a decision on so if that player is available in that round that they can look at it and say, I feel good about making this pick. Especially now we only have 20 rounds. You know, when I started at 50, wow. so with such, you got, when you had 50, there was like, Oh, we'll take chances here. We'll take chances there. But when you have 20, you really can't miss on picks. And especially if you sign free agents. Now, as last year, we didn't pick in the second or third round. And we've signed free agents again this year. So we do not pick in the second or third round. So, you know, it's you really got to be thorough and have all the information. So when we do make a selection, you know, we feel really strongly about it. Now, obviously, so much can happen. So much can change. We have all those levels of the minor leagues. Obviously, you always hear guys don't make it, but you want it. You're playing the percentages. We, hey, we've done our due diligence. We've done our work. We know the player from an evaluation, statistical makeup. Everything's covered. You know, that's when we make the selection.
0: So if a student was interested in learning more about being a scout and, and one day becoming a scout, how much travel can they expect? We'll just say on the amateur side, you talked a little bit about the pro side. Um, how much travel can they expect to be doing uh, dur- throughout the year? All
1: right. it's it's. right. I'll give you some of my statistics. Mm. Um, it's it's definitely changed now that I have three kids. Mm. When I first started, it was a single living in Chicago. And it was like, dude, just go. It doesn't matter when you go home. Um, I think the most I ever did is about 110 nights in a hotel. Uh, I think if you talk to some guys that have bigger areas, they're probably 150, 160. I've wow. talked to guys that have done over 200. Um, yeah, it, it's it's quite a bit when you start boiling it down, it's like, man, I'm spending over a third third of my year in a hotel. Um, from a driving standpoint because I'm in the Midwest to cover five states, 30 to 40,000 miles in the car, you know I know of guys that have done over 50. You know, if you're covering South Florida, obviously substantially less. SoCal substantially less covering a couple zip codes compared to the, the five states in the great Midwest. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it can, um, on, on the pro side, it's a lot more flights just because it, it depends on the, does the organization, do they assign you based on the league? So if you're covering the Midwest league, that's a lot of driving. Um, if you're covering affiliates, you know, that means you're bouncing around a whole lot more. So there's a lot more flights, sure. but there's quite a bit of travel. That's that. I don't care what side you're on. It's a lot of time in hotels.
0: Yeah. And, and I can imagine, you know, as a single guy, again, hey, that would be great and, and kind of a dream, but certainly different once you're you're married and, and you have kids. Um, so thinking about, again, because we've got students who are interested in this, We, we about half of our athletes here at Trine um, play some sp- some type of sport here at the school. Um in some, you know, would be baseball, football, basketball that have those feeder systems into the pros that are interested in scouting. So what are the qualities that they need to become a, a good scout?
1: My biggest thing is open-mindedness, willingness to learn, being resourceful. Um I'll I'll give you an example because there it was uh I don't know, maybe say five, six years ago. I somebody on LinkedIn reached out to me, never played, never played. Uh, if you ask him to throw a ball 15 feet, he'd probably struggle with it. Yeah. But he loved the game. He wanted to work in baseball. He was devoted. He was graduating uh, a year early from the University of Iowa. And he reached out to me and I said, man, I don't have Iowa, but I'm covering the Big Ten tournament in Minneapolis. And he's like, well, I have relatives that live up there. Can I join you? So he drove from uh, Iowa City up to Minneapolis. I mean, in the Big Ten tournament is literally first games at 8 a.m. and the last games at 9 p.m. And if there's any sort of delay, we're there well into one, two in the morning. Uh, I mean, it happened this year. So it, it's you're talking long, long days. It's a four or five day tournament. And he showed up and he sat with me through every single game. Uh, I introduced him to a ton of different people that were there. And there was the get one night we finished at one thirty in the morning and eight a.m. He was back at the ballpark the next day. Um, he ended up he started then he started going to games um, in the Quad Cities. He just started writing reports. He created this huge portfolio, and he started sending it out. Um, and and I think you're always going to get some. You know, you're going to go to games. You're trying to talk to people, get some rejection, but just be persistent. Don't worry about it. Continue to try to push forward, learn. Um, and he ended up getting a full time job. So wow. you know, I use his, him as an example because it's somebody. Because everyone says you have to have played. No, you do not. You need to be open minded. You need to be resourceful. You need to be take what you learn and apply it. I think that's the biggest thing. There's, you know, there's we had scout school at one point. Major League Scouting Bureau created that, and they did away with it when they did away with the bureau. So there's really no true opportunity out there to learn. So it's taking mm-hmm. what you can find, but then going into and apply it. You know, if there's somebody up in Fort Wayne, like, hey, I really want to learn how to scout, go watch the Tin Caps. Go spend a couple weeks there. Scout they're easy to spot. You can find the scouts. Get there early because they're there always early. They're there for BP um, and try to corner one and try to just ask questions. What can I learn? Can you share anything with me? You know, those are the things I've always encouraged people to, you know, go watch games, go see what it looks like, and then try to write an actual scatter report on those players. That's the best way to do it.
0: And I'll keep this question baseball specific. And, I, and I'm really glad what you just, and, I, and I'm really happy that you shared that story um, because I think that's one thing I talk with students as well who want to break into something like coaching and maybe they don't have a lot of experience. You know, you've hit on a lot of things here. One, you know, the pay's not that great starting out, you know, but if you can you can stick it through, you, you, you'll be all right. Um, and two, you just really got to work harder than than a lot of other people at, 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 at what it is that you want to do. Um, but the one thing I, I did want to ask baseball specifically, is there anything that, or how are you evaluating players? Like if somebody wanted to get into scouting, what are the things that they need to know to evaluate a player? I, I'm assuming it's the five tools and and maybe some of the intangibles as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's definitely changed. So we still, a lot of the stuff is the same, you know, and I think it'll always be that way. The five tools, you're looking at position player, you're always looking at their tools, tools play. um, But that's what it used to be there's so many more aspects and part of it there's so much more information available to us Mm -hmm. you know now the statistics are coming into play um the analytics are coming into play and for me what's one of the most important things is the makeup portion so the character the drive the resiliency adversity the stuff that's off the field you know I, i what i say to to people is the the talent is their ceiling their character is their floor so the, hot, the better the character, the more chance that I believe they will get to their ceiling. Um, you know, so I, I think it's important not to pigeonhole yourself. Just hey, I just want to scout. I think it's important to also understand the analytics. It, it's a huge piece right now. There's a lot of different places that we're pulling from of information, but understanding the analytics, how, it, how it's applicable um, to the scouting process. It's not there's no longer just one way to do things. You know, now we pull from so many different resources, which I encourage anyone that's trying to get into scouting, like it's worth learning some of these metrics and what we look for. And then, you know, applying it, you know, so I use the example, if I go to, you know, I I live pretty close to to IU. So if I were, Mm -hmm. were to go watch IU five times out of the year, you know, I'm getting a small tidbit. Now the track man, the data that's in the facility we have access to that's there for every game. So if they play 30 home games, that's giving me a bigger sample size. So I use the data to confirm what my eyes are telling me, you know, so it's kind of, it works both ways.
0: Wow. Amazing. Um, And you've been doing this for, you know, over a decade now. I know you started with the Blue Jays and now with the Rangers. Um, So tell us about some of your success stories, like guys that you've scouted that ended up going and, and playing in the majors.
1: So I have two guys that ended up playing in the big leagues. Um, you know, it's, it's like I said, sometimes it's just luck of the draw. It's just you were able to get them in the right spot. They ended up everything worked out. They get to the big leagues. I also think sometimes like a success is putting your organization in the place to take a player, and maybe they didn't take them, but you at least did that much, you know, and the player turned out. Because in scouting – you can't judge me on my draft from last year. It's impossible. We don't know. It's they're all in A-ball. They're all in the in rookie ball. Um, we look back three, four, five years. And that's the one thing I do is I have a exp- Excel spreadsheet for every single draft, every player that's taken out of my area. And then I go back every year and look, you know, where are they now? You know, and there's some that you sit there and you're like scratch your head, you're like, gosh, I was so off on this guy. And then there were some where it's like, you know what, that's what I thought he was gonna be, and he ended up being that guy you know for me with us uh Kyle Cody he was a draft the fifth round draft pick uh, at the University of Kentucky he's he's now in the, he was in the big leagues with us he had some injuries we optioned him out um i think he's going to start in minor league camp with an opportunity to make the big leagues this year somebody and that was someone i literally begged for for two consecutive years uh, i was grateful to get him when we did and i i always felt pretty strong that he was going to make it um uh, the other one's Ryan Barucky uh that was when i was with the blue jays that I mean, he actually texted me today. Like we still have a tremendous relationship. Um, he ended up needing Tommy John surgery his mm. senior year of high school. Um, he was shut down, and then all of a sudden he started working his way back. Doctor said, "Hey, it's a partial tear. You could pitch on it." So he started throwing in JV games. And there was times when his dad would tell me, "Like I don't know if he's going to throw. You can come if you want." I went every single time. There was plenty of days that he never threw, and his dad's apologized me. Don't worry about it. You know, it's part of it eventually I'll get him. And finally I did get him and and he looked, he looked good. We ended up signing him, um, after the 10th round, which many think like, how would you be able to get that guy after the 10th round? We just believed in him. But again, both these guys, you know, it always comes back to the same thing. It's the makeup piece. You always knew they were going to really work. You know, both of them been hurt. Both of them have overcome some injuries and, you know, Ryan just actually signed with the Cubs on a minor league deal. So hopefully we see him at Wrigley this year. Um, but, you know, those are some successes. But, again, it's, you know, looking at it from a whole, just like guys that I I was really strong on that ended up making it to the big leagues. You know, I, I feel like, all right, we, I put our organization to a good spot to take these guys that didn't end up with us. Um, some or with other teams that I could still literally could text or shoot a call out to and, and still talk to. It's like those relationships don't go away even, the, you know, five, six, seven years later.
0: Yeah. Um, does that ever happen? You where where guys that you know from another team kind of contact you and, and want to know something? Or is there a professional courtesy there where yeah, you reply or you have to say, Nah, I'm sorry, I'm with somebody else. I can't do that anymore.
1: Yeah, you get that. Um, you know, it, it definitely goes stuff like that does go on. Yeah. Where you get the usually it's a it's a phone call like, Hey, uh so and so. You signed, but he just got optioned and we have interests. Can you tell me about him? Stuff like that. You know, there's always, it's a, it's a group, you know, it's a big, it's like a a brotherhood of scouts. So obviously we lean on each other here and there, um, utilize each other as resources. And we all, obviously everybody talks, but yeah, there's, that does go on.
0: Okay. Excellent. And tell, you said you've got a, a scout school and I know you're doing some stuff down around the, the Indy area. Um, so you've got your scouting component that you're still involved in, but you've also got some other things running um, teams, um, running the scout school. So tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. So I started the whole scout school just is, like I said, it was during the pandemic. There was just not a whole lot one to do, but at the same time, everybody's in front of their computer. So they started I'd get the messages on LinkedIn. And, and like I said, I always, I always respond. I always feel like it's it necessary to respond. Um, and I've right. had some successes there where I'd, I'll give you the information, do what, what, do what, what you want with it. Yep. I'll get, I'll tell you, all right, this is, this is how you're going to get contacts to people in professional organizations. You know, it's a standardized email, figure out the format, plug their name in and send them emails. That's, that's the first one, you know, and then it's going to the winter meetings. How do you get meetings? How do you get in front of people building a portfolio? Um, just trying to prepare people that are interested and, and the ones that I think that have taken advantage of some of the advice have had success. They've gotten internships, they've gotten opportunities. You know, like I said, I've got a couple that turned out to end up being pro scouts. Um, and, and, you know, as much as the, some of the best calls you can get is, Hey, I'm going to the big leagues, you know, I not much replaces that. Um, But also when you get a phone call of, you were my second call, I called my parents first and you're the second one, just thank you for helping me. And I just got a full-time job with whatever team. you know. And the scout school, it's really just, it's exactly what the bureau used to do. Major League Scouting Bureau used to be able to, every team, so the way it worked was every team would get two spots. And usually they would send interns, people that were in the organization that they felt would have an opportunity to scout at some time. And they would sponsor them. And they'd go out to Arizona, spend a few weeks, and the Bureau of Scouts, which were run by Major League Baseball, would teach them and you'd watch the fall league and you'd learn the language, how to write reports, how to evaluate. And it was great. The problem was if you weren't on the inside, you had no opportunity. Mm. So if you were just, you know, Johnny from down the street and you really this is this is what you want to do, you could not just go. You couldn't just sign up. You know, so I took a lot of this the basic information and just compiled it into a course. So people could learn the basics, learn. One, the terminology, what to look for at every position, how to break it down, and then most importantly, how to write in a report. By far the most difficult thing. When I started scouting my my players, because I just left coaching, we were like, man, you're getting paid to go to games and, and that's it? Like, yeah, that's a cape <laughs> I'm like, And then finally, I was like, all right, write a report on this guy, on somebody we, we had here on campus, and they just sit there and stare at the paper. And that's exactly what I did when I started. I started late, so I never got to go to scout school, so I kind of had to learn on the go. And I remember trying to write my first report. It was on uh, Zach Cox, who ended up being a first rounder that year in 2010. And I mean, I just stared at the computer. I was like, I have no clue what I'm doing. <laughs> so you just lean on some of the some of the others. But that I would say that's one of the biggest challenges. And that's one of the things I try to focus on, on how to do that.
0: So if any students listening want to learn more about, about your scout school or, or would want to reach out to you, what would be the best way? Where can they find you?
1: That's all, everything's on the website. Just it's MikeMediciBaseball.com. The course is on there. I do, I'm, if you're a player, obviously I do lessons and other things uh, in the off season and, and that's all. That's, so I kind of put it all under one umbrella.
0: Outstanding. Um, well, Mike, really appreciate you being on the podcast and, and sharing your time and, and your experience with us today. Thank you. Absolutely, thank you. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Be sure to listen to our next episode on February 16th, as we speak with the operations manager of the South Bend Cubs Performance Center, Patrick Faust. As always, we'd like to say a special thank you to producer Josh Hornbacher for his work behind the scenes. This is the Center for Sports Studies podcast, broadcasting from the Trine Broadcasting Network. If you like this episode, please be sure to subscribe to the Center for Sports Studies podcast on your favorite podcasting platform and give us a five-star rating if you like what you heard. For more information about the Center for Sports Studies, please visit trine.edu. Also, be sure to like the Trine Center for Sports Studies on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Trine CSS. Thanks for listening to this presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu.